Thanks for joining us for another God-inspired message from C3 Church Monash. Connect with us online at c3monash.org.au and we hope you enjoy today's message. You're good. Good. Got the headset today. Good morning. How are you all? Team, thank you so much. I can release you and you can have a seat, but um, might come back later. We'll see. That'd be good. Ben, that was a pretty great warm-up for us all. (laughs) I feel like really encouraged and ready to go. Um, Great. How are you? Good. How's your week been? Yeah, as much as we can like have that conversation (laughs) with all of you. Right. We're ready. You know what I want to talk about first? The Matildas! I heard someone say it. Oh my goodness, I am like 100% on the Matilda's bandwagon. (laughs) I feel like maybe I'm a little late to the party, but I have thoroughly enjoyed watching them play the last few weeks. Has anyone else? Yes. Yes? You know who's the real winner here? Small talk. (laughs) Right? I don't think there's been something in such a long time where we have all watched and we can all talk about it. You can talk at the shopping centre with like anyone about the Matildas. Right? So good, (laughs) so good. But I want to share just some of the things that I've noticed as I've been watching them play. It's really stood out to me. Their kindness, the kindness with which they play. They play hard, but they're quick to apologise when someone gets hurt and check in on other players. Isn't that beautiful to watch? Not just their players, but like the other teams. You know, there's like a little hand like, are you right there? Or like helping them up. They play as a team rather than focused around a star player. They seem clear on what their role is, but also flexible. The media would have loved for it to be all about Sam Kerr, and she is undoubtedly a star, right? But I loved watching even Sam encourage her team, even when she was sidelined. The media put so much attention on her, but it seemed as though her goal was always to direct the attention to the team and for her contribution to, the, to be to the team and not for her own glory. Isn't that, I just, it's so beautiful to watch. I loved watching how the nation responded to them. There's something so beautiful and attractive about that kind of unity on display. A team functioning as a galaxy rather than individual stars. And I think why it's so attractive is it's a reflection of the kind of uni, unity God has called his church to. That's us. We are like the galaxy, full of different stars, each one of you. And as we're in unity together, we're reflecting what he's called us to be. This month, we've been reading through Ephesians together, Pastor James encouraging us around the value of our our communal engagement, every part doing its part to build the church. And then Matt continuing um, with that last week as we gathered in home churches and he challenged us around our belief about what church is and how it's expressed through each one of us. And Matt asks great questions, doesn't he? Did you have some good discussion? Yes? Yeah, wonderful. Well, today we're going to continue to book, sorry, to look at the book of Ephesians and what it has to say about our shared value of servant-heartedness. It was written by Paul in about 60 to 61 AD during his imprisonment in Rome. 
And it's, a, it's unique in that it's a circular letter. It was actually intended to go to numerous churches in Asia Minor. It covers subjects which are applicable to all churches, and it's a great source of wisdom for us this day. Isn't that beautiful that as Paul was writing it, he was intending for it to be passed around to lots of different churches. But could you, do you think he could have imagined just how many churches it would actually be passed around to? I have this sense that God wants to encourage us as his body, the church today through Ephesians and to enlarge our love for the church. Paul writes some really powerful prayers in Ephesians, so that's where I'd like to start, using Paul's words from chapter 1, 16 to 23. Can I ask you to just close your eyes for a second? And if you're happy to, just put your hand on your heart. Father God, I thank you for every person who you've called to be part of the expression of your church here in Monash. God, I ask today that you would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation that we would know you better. Open the eyes of our hearts so that we can know the hope to which you've called us, the rich and glorious inheritance you have for us as your people and your incomparably great powerful power available to us the same power you used when you raised Jesus Christ from the dead and seated him next to you in heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Thank you, God, that you placed all things under his feet and appointed to him to be the head over everything for us, the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills everything in every way. Amen. So let's start where Paul starts in his first few chapters of Ephesians. He reminds us of our identity. Ephesians ends in the exciting section about the armour of God, evoking images of warfare and battle and victory. But Paul knows that for us as the church to be able to stand up and do what God's called us to do, we first need to know who we are in him. Our identity needs to be secure. So listen to what he says about us, the church. We are blessed, chosen by God, loved, adopted, freely given grace, redeemed, United with Christ, marked by the Holy Spirit, heirs, Christ's body, the fullness of him, alive with Christ, seated with Christ, saved by grace, God's handiwork, created for good works, members of his household, fellow citizens, built on the foundation of the ones who've gone before us, built in alignment with Christ the cornerstone, joined together with him, built together by him. We are the means through which the wisdom of God is made known to rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. We are the dwelling place of God. Ephesians 2, 21 to 22 says... 
In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This is who we are, church. It's not a building. It's you. It's me. We are the church. Paul then goes on to encourage them, since this is who you are, now show that reality in how you work out your faith. Our being comes before our doing. In Ephesians 4.1, he urges them to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Effectively, it's like he's saying, now you know who you are, let that revelation be outworked in you. How? Be humble and gentle. Ephesians 4 verse 2. Be patient. Again in 4.2. Bear with one another in love. Maintain the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Speak the truth. Be kind and compassionate. Be forgiving. Be grateful. Bear fruit of goodness, righteousness and truth. And that's God's vision for his church. That's a vision we can all get behind, right? It's inspiring, it's hopeful, it's fruitful. It's our vision to become a people connected to Jesus and his community, growing to be more like him and reaching others with his love. But here's the thing, we're becoming. We haven't become yet. We're living in that tension between who God has called us to be and who we are right now. And this requires grace. Hey, I need grace. Grace because we aren't quite there yet. Grace because we're in process. Grace because there's a gap between what we say we value and the embodiment of those values. All right? Grace to empower our becoming. Grace to cover our missteps and our drop balls. Grace to work it all together for good. Now, when it comes to talking about servant-heartedness, the conversation can feel fraught. Servant-heartedness. Every single one of us has thoughts about those words, right? They bring things up for us. Just take a moment to now note what comes up when I say them. Servant-heartedness. Whether you've been in church for a long time or you're newer to church, we all bring our own history attached to these words. And honestly, just being a human will mean you've got opinions about serving. Maybe your heart leaps and you're filled with joy thinking of all the amazing opportunities and places you'll get to serve in your lifetime. Maybe you just scoffed and rolled your eyes. Maybe your heart hurts when you think of past experiences you've had in the name of being servant-hearted. There may be cultural connotations attached to it or beliefs from your family of origin. And then if you serve for any length of time, it would be pretty normal for you to have experienced any number of the following injustices. Being overlooked, being taken for granted, being mistreated. And Jesus would say, me too. He knows what that feels like. And yet, he is our great example of what it means to be servant-hearted. 
generous, going out of his way to reach the one, humble, washing his disciples' feet was not above him, sacrificial, full of love, but probably most importantly, obedient to the Father and graced by the Father. Listen to how Paul writes about servant-heartedness and Jesus in Philippians 2, 1-11. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, working together, and with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude as Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honour and gave him the name above all other names, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." Seven-hearted may be loaded words to you, but it's also the character of Jesus, who we are being formed to be like if we've said yes to being his disciple. This is why we need to keep realigning our understanding and our expectations around service. We must have the same attitude as Jesus had. When Vicki Simpson was here at the end of July, Um, One of the thoughts she shared with us was around the idea of present truth. God wanting us to be established in present truth rather than past truth, to upgrade our beliefs. And today I believe there's an opportunity for an upgrade to our belief about what it means to be servant-hearted. Maybe you're believing something that's close to the truth, but it's not quite the truth. But there's an upgrade. There's a realignment. God helping us make a transition from what has been true or appeared true to what is now true. Maybe that's in your thinking about yourself. We need to be careful how we apply truth in each season. At C3 Monash, we talk about servant-heartedness in this way, and I'll just ask Addie to pop it on the screen. Servant-heartedness is having a generous spirit. We understand that we are part of, we understand that being part of a community will cost us something. We give of our time, resources and energy to meet the needs of our church, community and beyond in practical ways. Kingdom culture embraces generosity and humility. It puts others first. This servant-heartedness is something we share in side by side. We give freely from what we have not under compulsion, but um, enabling us to share the load and serve sustainably. And how this value of servant-heartedness is expressed is something we're going to need to keep working out, right? With God and in community. 
how it looks will be different in different seasons. And we need the Holy Spirit's guidance and the wisdom of trusted people around us to help us navigate it. It's not a value worked out in us just on a Sunday. It's a seven-day-a-week thing. It's every day. It's who we are. It's in the way we treat our kids, our colleagues, the checkout person at Woolies, our bosses, our clients, the parents on the footy field. So let me pose a question to you today. Is there anything getting in the way of you growing in servant-heartedness? Is your attitude towards serving like Jesus? Are you serving him wholeheartedly or half-heartedly or broken-heartedly? And if that's you, please hear me when I say Jesus has so much compassion towards you. As I've been preparing, that has been one of the biggest things is his heart towards those who are just broken-hearted. They've been serving him, but their hearts are hurting. Remember, we're living and serving in the tension between what will be but what is not yet. So some broken-heartedness can be part of our journey. But when we let it lead us humbly to him, he can bring healing and restoration, and it can be the means of our heart's expansion. We're not going to grow our servant-heartedness by serving harder. This is not a God's good, your bad, try harder message, okay? Let's consider Ephesians 4, 16. From him, the whole body, joined together and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part, sorry, as each part does its work. What does that verse say we grow in? Love. How do we grow? Love. Our service is designed to be powered by his love. Our service is designed to be from him and to him. Ephesians 6, 7 to 8 says, Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. Sometimes our service is powered by other things which are ultimately unsustainable. And it's actually God's kindness to reveal these things so we can receive truth. Is or has your service been driven by fear, people-pleasing, control, a need for affirmation, pride, duty, a desire to help people? I don't know, and I'm definitely not here to judge. I've served for a multitude of seemingly good reasons, and even reasons that started off in love but went a little wonky in disappointment and unmet expectations. Only God knows the motivations of our hearts, and if he's revealing it, be encouraged that it's with an invitation to discover a better way with him. Listen to the way N.T. Wright translates these verses in Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30. Are you having a real struggle? Come to me. Are you carrying a big load on your back? Come to me. I'll give you a rest. Pick up my yoke and put it on. Take lessons from me. I'll be gentle with you. The last thing in my heart is to give you a hard time. 
you'll find the rest you deeply need. My yoke is easy to wear. My load is easy to bear. God is not using service to punish us, but service is an effective way of forming us. Our learning curves are natural and not shameful. Sometimes our service runs out of power. Galatians 6.9 says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Do you remember that verse? Have you ever wanted to say to Paul, Yeah, cool, thanks, but I am weary. <laughs> do you have any advice for that, Paul? Um, and actually, he does. When we read the surrounding verses, verses, his encouragement is for the church to bear each other's burdens. When there are things going on which are outside the normal load, there's an opportunity we can step in and carry things for each other. If you are weary, consider whether you need to let some of your burdens be carried by others or you need to put them down for a season. He also encourages us not to compare ourselves to one another but to carry our own load. Comparison drains us of joy, which the Bible speaks about as a source of strength. Comparing your service to what others are doing leads to pride or insecurity. But they aren't doing as much as I am, or, but I'm not doing enough. Either way, you'll get drained of power. Your servant heart might be a bit broken right now. And there's no timeline on the mending of a broken heart. But don't let it sideline you forever. Take the time you need to heal, but engage in the recovery. And don't isolate yourself from the body because that's where you receive the healing and encouragement that you need. You might not be active in the way you were, but it doesn't mean that you're any less loved and appreciated However much that lie might sound close to the truth and however much there may be a gap in our working that in our community. A number of years ago, I went through a season where I was serving, but I was experiencing a lot of pain. And it was really confusing because I love God and I love his church. But I thought there was just something wrong with my heart and it needed attention. God in his kindness took me on a journey of healing and it wasn't overnight, it was actually a long process, but one that I'm incredibly grateful for. One of the key perspective shifts for me came in a prayer ministry session where I had an opportunity to bring my hurting heart before Jesus and ask him about it. I thought there was something wrong with my heart, but the picture I saw was of Jesus enlarging it and making it bigger. What I had been experiencing were growing pains. And that really changed my perspective on the pain. One of the prayer facilitators asked, do you want that large heart? Do you want a heart like Jesus? Yes. Ouch. <laughs> but yes. And I wonder if that's the invitation from God for all of us today. Do you want me to enlarge your heart? Do you want a heart like mine, even if it's painful? Would you let me heal your broken heart and give you a fresh perspective? 
God is well able to establish or restore you to first love, the kind of love that brings hope, freedom, healing and restoration, the kind of love which fuels joyful service and to keep realigning you back to that love so you can keep serving him wholeheartedly. As you listen to me pray this prayer from Ephesians 3, 14 to 21, I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to release healing and restoration to broken hearts. I believe he wants to restore first love. I believe he wants to bring new assignment, new assignments to people and alignment to the yoke you've been carrying. I believe he wants to fill you up with the kind of love that overflows so naturally in service to others and that moving forward there'll be a new grace to stay connected to and sustained by that love. A new truth about servant-heartedness he wants us to be established in. So if that's something you want to receive this morning, can I encourage you to close your eyes again? Maybe again pop your hand over your heart. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches that he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit, in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all God's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Father God, would you enable a new level of freedom in our service, fueled by your love? Would you restore our broken hearts and would you enlarge our hearts? Would you enable us again to serve you wholeheartedly and with gladness? Amen. God loves his church. Jesus loves the church. It's what he's coming back for. And he's not unaware of the gap between his vision for the church and what the current state is. He's patient and faithful and he hasn't changed the plan. Ephesians 5, 29 to 30 says this, After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are all members of one body. Friends, we can't really hold grudges against the church without it having an effect on us. We are the church. But if we bring our hurt to God and ask him to heal it, if we choose to love and feed and care for the church anyway, we'll find our love and our lovedness will grow. Learning to love the church and learning to love ourselves are linked. Our service is not neutral, it's warfare. We're going to need the armour that Paul talks about in Ephesians 6. 
We're going to need that belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, our feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. We're going to need to take up the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. And I encourage you to pray that over yourself this week. Let me close by reading these words of Paul's in Philippians, which encourage us as we move toward the goal of unity and maturity in the faith, which he talks about in Ephesians 4. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now so much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with you all. For you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Last Saturday night, almost 50,000 fans and a further 7.2 million online watched the Matildas beat France in the quarterfinals in a tense penalty shootout. It was really tense. <laughs> Okay, we actually watched it as a family on the Sunday afternoon. And even though I know, knew who won, because it was really hard to keep that a secret, <laughs> it was still really intense. And the joy we got to share in when Courtney Vine got that shot in was incredible. <laughs> For a moment, if you saw it, and even if you didn't, picture them walking the field at the end, the team they were looking up into the stands and they were sharing in that moment of joy with every person who was there. It didn't matter if you weren't on the field. It didn't matter if you were watching from home. We got to share in the joy of that moment. And I, I just think that's just a small glimpse of what it's going to be like to share in the joy with Jesus at the end when he comes. Friends, we know who wins in the end. Jesus, the true vine. We are living in the tension of what is not quite yet, but the joy set before us is this. We all have a part to play. Our service is ultimately for him and fueled by his love. And in the end, no matter what part we played, or how long or how much appreciation we got to receive for it, here for it, we will all get to share in the joy of his ultimate victory. Right. Amen. Church, if you want to take a bit more time to respond to God with what I talked about, the prayer team are going to be available after the service to pray with you. And I'd really encourage you to take that time if God's been speaking to you and continue to work that out with him. Can I pray for you once more? God, I thank you for your church. You love it so much. You love us so much. Jesus, I thank you that you are working in us and forming us into your likeness and that you can be trusted with that process. I thank you that you work everything together for good. 
I thank you that we can bring ourselves wholeheartedly to you and know that we're safe in your hands. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you have any prayer needs, email prayer at c3monash.org.au or connect with us online.